Psalm 27, 4. David wanted to learn more about the Lord, but this was in, in an even deeper way than what we're talking about here. 27.4, he says, One thing I have asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. <coughs> He wanted to behold the beauty of the Lord. And that's partly what I want to speak on this morning. I'd like to examine with you the subject of the holiness of God. The holiness of God. Now that is a subject that all of us are unfit to deal with and, in fact, incapable of handling. I knew that when I chose this as a topic, and I became more and more aware of it as I tried to, to deal with it as a topic. As I studied most of yesterday, read books and thoughts related to the holiness of God, I tried to put them down on paper and about 11 o'clock last night, I realized uh, how inadequate what I had prepared was for what I was really dealing with. And I went to bed with the idea, what am I going to do? Because I just felt like I couldn't deal with this. Uh, I got up in the morning and I actually dug out old messages to try to uh, have something to share this morning because I just felt like uh, this was too much to deal with, too overwhelming. And what I had to share was so paltry compared to the subject at hand, the holiness of God. Uh, but as I looked through the notes for, for other messages, I, nothing seemed right. So I came back to this and just said, Well, Lord, I'll give what I've got, and you can do with it what you want. Um, let's begin back in Exodus chapter 15. <coughs> When God had delivered the people of uh, God out of Egypt, brought them through the Red Sea, when they were on the other side, Moses sang a song. Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And uh, I just want to pick out one praise from this song. In verse 11, they said, Who is like thee among the gods, O Lord? Who is like thee, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? 
splendid, majestic in His holiness. And then if you would turn to the New Testament, the last book of the New Testament, we sing, we see another example of the Song of Moses in the book of Revelation, chapter 15. It's short, so we'll just read this whole song of Moses here. Here is a scene from heaven, you see. And the uh, people are singing this song, verse 3, And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, O Lord God, the Almighty, Righteous and true are thy ways, thou King of the nations, who will not fear thee and glorify thy name, for thou alone art holy. For all nations will come and worship before thee, for thy righteous acts have been revealed. But especially this phrase, for thou alone art holy. Let's pray here before we go on. Father, we pray that you would speak to us now as we look at this subject of your holiness. It is beyond us and even to deal with the subject we feel like We are on holy ground and uh, need to just bow down and acknowledge that you're holy. You're the only one who is holy and we are so unholy. Help us now, Father. By thy Holy Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I think the place to begin is just what is said in this Song of Moses. For thou alone art holy. Only God is holy. That's the place to begin in our understanding of what we're talking about when we're talking about the holiness of God. Only God can reveal to us what His holiness really is. A.W. Tozer, in his chapter on the holiness of God, in this book called The Knowledge of the Holy, which if you haven't ever read it, you, you should sometime. It's dealing with the attributes of God. And normally this thing of the holiness of God is considered an attribute of God, but the more I've thought about it, and I've seen this uh, made reference to in a number of places, holiness is not just an attribute of God, it's an attribute of all the attributes of God. Holiness. It's like it's what sums up all the attributes of God. But anyway, he has a chapter on the holiness of God, and I just wanted to 
read a small section to you, and I will be reading a number of things here today just because I th in this area others can say it so much better than I can that uh, it seemed the best way to do this. But here's what he says as we're trying to deal, even deal, with this subject of the holiness of God. Neither the writer nor the reader of these words is qualified to appreciate the holiness of God. See, he's writing on the subject of the holiness of God. He said, I'm not adequate to appreciate this, and you as a reader aren't adequate either. He says, we cannot grasp the true meaning of the divine holiness by thinking of someone or something very pure and then raising that concept to the highest degree we are capable of. He said we can't do it that way. God's holiness is not simply the best we know infinitely bettered. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, unique, unapproachable, incomprehensible, and unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. There's nothing like it. So, for this very reason, anyone who attempts to deal with this subject finds great difficulties. It's no wonder that at 11 o'clock last night I decided I couldn't give this message. Uh, there's great, great difficulty even in framing a definition of holiness. What is God's holiness? It's just simply too far beyond us, too different from us, for us to, to be able to just say, this is what God's holiness is. You might put it this way, we're separated by an infinite gap which we cannot breach when we start dealing with God's holiness. He's distinguished from us. He's separated from us, set apart. First of all, because he is our infinite creator and we are finite creatures. But even more so, because he's absolutely morally pure which has a lot to do with his holiness. He's absolutely morally pure, and we are unholy, impure, and defiled. It's like this is a subject you cannot touch because of who you are and who he is. He is the Holy One. He is incomparable. He's, when we say he's the Holy One, we're, we are saying he's the incomparable one. His holiness is utterly unique. It's the uniqueness of his divine essence. It's what he is as God. He's holy. It's what he is which no one else 
or no other thing will ever be. He is holiness itself. I mean, what is holiness? Holiness is God. It's his nature. It's his essence. So holiness is his alone, and there is nothing like it in heaven or earth except where he chooses to give it and reveal it. In the Old Testament, if something was set apart for God, it was holy. If it was near God, God's presence, it was holy. The angels that are with God are holy angels. The temple that was used for a place of worshiping God was a holy temple. The people that he set apart for his own possession were holy people. They were a holy nation. But you see, it's only God that's holy. And it's, it's by association with him that anything becomes holy. By being in his presence, by being set apart for him and to him, it becomes holy. But he is the only holy one. So when we think of holiness, one thing we should think about is this area of separation. So God's holiness has to do with his separation from all else. And in fact, the very word itself, as uh, you all, if you read commentaries or books related to the holiness of God, you find that the word holy comes from a root which means to cut, to separate. It means to be set apart, to be distinct, to be different. In the Bible, we see that God would set apart certain things for himself, and these things were called holy. We already talked about that a little bit. The holy temple, the holy people. So, one thing that should come to our mind when we're dealing with this thing of holiness is God's holiness speaks of his, his being totally distinct, totally separate from all else. God made the creation, but he's not part of the creation. And any part of the creation that's going to be holy can only be holy by association with him because he's the only holy one. Well, that's the first point. <clears throat> the next thing that I came across as I was looking at this subject is that another facet of God's holiness is his beauty. Now this is something we don't normally think about and I want us to think about it just briefly here this morning. His inconceivably infinite beauty 
is a facet of His holiness. Sin, seen as it really is, is always ugly. If you really see what sin is, you'll see that it's ugly. But God's divine purity and separation from all that's sinful, His holiness makes Him the perfection of beauty because He's separated from all that's ugly, all that's distorted, all that's defiled. Therefore, He is the perfection of beauty. And it's, it's a part of what it means that God is holy. He's infinitely beautiful. One of the men that wrote a big book on the attributes of God was a man named Charnock. And he says in the section on holiness, he just says it this way, holiness is his beauty. Holiness is God's beauty. Another writer that I read something of said, he, spe- he speaks of the dazzling white radiance of his holiness. The dazzling white radiance. That's another way of saying beauty. And the Bible speaks of the beauty of his holiness. That's Psalm 110, verse 3. It speaks about the beauty of the Lord, Psalm 27, 4, and the beauty of his holiness. Now, I want us to think a little bit about this subject of beauty. How, what are we talking about here when we're talking about holiness being uh, wrapped up in the beauty of the Lord? Well, this is a uh, another book on God's attributes by a man named Sam Storms, The Grandeur of God. And he has a little appendix, or a little conclusion, actually, at the whole end of the book that's about the attributes of God and he talks about the beauty of the Lord now let I just want you to think about what he's saying here he says I believe it may properly be said indeed must be said that God alone is beautiful in the absolute and unqualified sense All created reality, be it the raw elements of nature untouched by human hands or the paintings of Rembrandt, is beautiful beautiful in a derivative sense and only to the degree that it reflects the perfections of God. Something is beautiful only to the degree that it reflects the perfections of God. In God alone are perfect order, harmony, magnitude, integrity, proportion, and brilliance. In himself, independent of any benefit or blessing of which he might enjoy, God is beautiful. In himself, God is beautiful. Now again, this is part of what we're talking about when we're talking about the holiness of God. God is beautiful beyond our comprehension. There is in the divine being alone, the divine being alone, absolute resolution, 
integration, and the utter absence of the slightest discordant element. Nothing out of place. Nothing discordant, you see. Uh, and then he quotes this psalm that we looked at. One thing I have asked of the Lord, said David, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. In his works and word he has manifested himself that we as his creatures might stand in awe, beholding the symmetry of his attributes, the harmony of his deeds, the glory of his goodness, and the overwhelming and unfathomable grandeur of his greatness. In a word, his beauty. One poet put it this way. He said, how beautiful, how beautiful the sight of thee must be, thine endless wisdom, boundless power, and awful purity. Awful in the sense of being, filling us with awe, his purity. How beautiful, how beautiful the sight of thee must be, thine endless wisdom, boundless power, and awful purity. And here's a quote by C.S. Lewis that I thought was interesting. How little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible because it's, it's beautiful. Holiness is beautiful. And God is awesome in his holiness, in his beauty. So included in God's holiness is this concept of the splendor of his beauty. Another thing, and I'm just kind of throwing out thoughts here that... uh, were in the things that I read and I thought they were um, helpful to me. Closely aligned to this area of the beauty of the Lord is the understanding of holiness as wholeness. Wholeness. W-H-O-L-E. Whole. Our English word for holy comes from an Anglo-Saxon word meaning well or whole. Complete. Perfect. Um, God is entire in himself. He didn't need anything else, you see. He was whole. That's part of what when we talk about God being one. It's not just that's, that there's just one God. But God is a unity, complete in himself, dependent upon nothing else. Everything else is dependent upon him, and he depends on nothing else. He's complete, perfect, whole in himself. When something is whole, when we say something is whole, that means that that all the parts are there. There's nothing missing. 
There's nothing missing in God, nothing imperfect. Not, not even the slightest thought is missing. He knows everything. And to put it kind of in a, uh, maybe kind of a simplistic way, if something is whole, there's no hole in it. There's nothing missing, like the middle of the donut, you know. There's no hole there. If it's whole, there's nothing missing. So, again, it's, so clo- it's close to the beauty of the Lord because we're talking about symmetry. We're talking about harmony. We're talking about completeness. Uh, there's a symmetry in the being of God, a harmony in his person. If you look up holiness in an old dictionary... I don't know what's in a new one, but if you look it up, for instance, in Noah Webster's dictionary, who was a godly man, uh, the first meaning of the word holy in his 1828 dictionary was this, whole. That's the first meaning of holy. We just don't think that way. But Webster understood something here, that this word holy means whole. He goes on, whole, entire, or perfect, especially in a moral sense, he says. God is perfect. He's whole morally. Hence, pure in heart, temper, and disposition. He says, applied to the supreme being, holy signifies perfectly pure, immaculate, and complete in moral character. So, when we think of, of this thing of being holy, we should think of this word that is very similar. Wholeness. Completeness. There's a, a wholeness and a completeness in God which nothing else has. Again, we're all unholy because we're not whole. We're incomplete. God's going to make us whole if we're his child. And even even the idea of health is part of this idea of holiness. God's the only healthy one. Did you know that? We're all unhealthy. You're going to die. But God's going to make you healthy. He's going to make you holy. And being holy, you'll be healthy. Eternally healthy. It, that's, it, I'm, I'm trying to bring out you know, different aspects of what's involved in this thing of holy, the holiness of God. God's the only healthy one. And unless you get into his health, you're going to be unhealthy for eternity. So these are all aspects of God's holiness. And uh, there's so much more that uh, could be said in relationship to God's holiness. But I just want to bring out a few thoughts here in closing on why it's 
important to contemplate this area of the holiness of God. First of all, it's vitally important in producing or promoting genuine conviction of sin. Unless you see something, and this is what the Holy Spirit does when he convicts us of sin. He shows you something of the holiness of God. If you don't have some concept of the holiness of God, you're not going to see how unholy you are. There's not going to be any conviction there of sin. It's, you know, you don't just decide to follow Jesus and say, well, this is cool. You see something of who God is and who you are and the great separation there because of God being holy and you being unholy. I mean, you, you may not see very much of it. I don't think any of us have seen very much of it. But there has to be something of that or there won't be any real conviction of sin and therefore no repentance. Another thing that uh, just contemplating the holiness of God does, especially for a Christian, is it keeps them humble. Even when we're doing something right, even when we've done something good, even when uh, we've uh, excelled above our neighbor in, in what appears to be righteousness, we realize that our greatest goodness, the greatest goodness that we're capable of in this life is nothing compared to the holiness of God. We, we are still infinitely separated from God's holiness when we're in our most holy state here on earth. And the only reason we have any holiness is because it's imparted to us through the work of Christ, imputed to us, and then imparted through the work of the Holy Spirit. Another thing it does is it produces reverence in our approach to God. There's in America such a light-hearted um, attitude toward how a man, a person, people can approach God. And if we get just a little glimpse of the holiness of God, we see that that is totally uh, uh, erroneous, superficial, foolish. The way some people speak of God and deal with this thing of coming in to his presence. I wrote down a verse here. Which I didn't look up and didn't write down right. So we won't use it. <laughs> but this we can say for sure if if 
we have our eyes opened even to a little of God's holiness, we know that it is no small thing to be able to go into his presence. We know for sure that it can only be on the basis of what God has done for us in Christ. You might say it this way, only God can bring us to God. And it will produce a proper fear, a reverence. I guess those go very close together. But the fear of God is something, again, that's, you know, a lot of contemporary Christianity says, well, there shouldn't be any fear of God. Well, you know, because, well, you know, they'd say God is love or something like that. But the fear of God is vitally important to any proper understanding of who God is. And the fear of God partly comes, anyway, by a proper understanding of what it means that God is holy. Uh, another, ask, another reason for just contemplating this it is that it should help us to be patient and to submit to God's dealings in our lives. God's holy. And uh, in the midst of trials and difficulties, that's one thing that should sustain us. The holiness of God. And I think the greatest example of that is Christ himself. Let's turn to Psalm 22. This is a psalm that Christ quoted while he was on the cross. In the, in the darkness, in the sufferings of hell that he was experiencing, the sufferings of our sin being placed upon him, and God turning away, he quotes this verse, My God, my God, Psalm 22, verse 1, Why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. O my God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. Crying out to God, no answer. But what does he say then? He didn't say this on the cross, but I'm sure this was there as part of what was going through his heart and mind at the time. Yet, Thou art holy. In the midst of those, the, the, the deepest suffering, the most anguished time that anybody has ever experienced, he falls back on this. Yet, thou art holy. And that's what we have to do also. in the trials and difficulties that we don't understand sometimes. This we, this we do know. God's holy. God's holy. And then lastly, I think the reason that we should contemplate this subject of the holiness of God is that it is a prompting to us 
to cry out to him to make us more like him. To make us whole. To make us pure. To make us beautiful. Beautiful in the sense of what true beauty really is. And to make us separate in the sense of moral purity, separate from that that is unholy and sinful. Um, I quoted this verse last, maybe it was two weeks ago, but uh, I'll just close with this. Like the Holy One who has called you, be holy yourselves, also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, we haven't really even dealt with the subject of our holiness because we've been looking at the holiness of God. But our holiness is a derived holiness. It comes from the one, the only one who's holy, and that is God. And he made it possible through his holy son dying on the cross and imparting and imputing that holiness to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. We're not going to look at that this morning, but just to realize that God has called us to holiness. He's called us to himself. We're separated from him because of sin. God calls us to himself. Holiness in God desires that that we would be made holy and be like him and God has made that possible through Christ so anyway those are just a few scattered thoughts related to God's holiness and I would uh, again recommend uh, this book the Knowledge of the Holy by Tozer. If you haven't read that, um, it's a very profitable read. Anything, any comments or questions here before I... step down. There's a quote that I didn't use related to this. uh, Well, it's a commentary on the verse that talks about the beauty of holiness. He says, Beauty is a combination of elements according to the laws of harmony. The more beautiful the parts or elements, the more perfect the harmonious combination, the higher the beauty. See, holiness is is like the combination of all of, of God's attributes. And the writer here says if you take uh, beauty, partly has to do with the, the individual beauty of the parts combined into something whole and harmonious. He says the more beautiful the parts um, or elements, the more perfect the harmonious combination, the higher the beauty. How high and glorious, therefore, must be the beauty of this attribute, talking about holiness, which is the perfect combination of all his infinite perfections.
the holiness of God. Well, anything else here before? Your eyes will see the king in his beauty. They will behold a far distant land. Yeah, that's... It's a wonderful promise. Well, let's pray. Father, what can we say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. We think as even the seraphim would cover their feet and eyes and body to be in your presence and uh, here we are people uh, so sinful and yet you've purpose to bring us to yourself and make us so that we can stand in your presence with great joy and as this verse here says, to see the king in his beauty. Father, help us not to lose the wonder of this salvation, this thing of bringing unholiness to a place of being able to be in your presence through the work of Christ. We ask, Father, that you would reveal more of yourself to us so that we might better understand what Christ has done for us and uh, serve you with reverence and awe.
pray that you would apply your truth to our hearts and help us to grow in this area of, of um, Christ-likeness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.